Hello everybody, welcome to today's show. I'm your host, Zach Drew. And I'm Andrew Bellers. We're gonna be talking about secularists versus Christians today. We're also gonna be talking about the emergent church and how to be able to tell if your pastor has let postmodernism infiltrate his church. All of that and more on today's program. A man by the name of Foster Fries of Real Clear Politics recently wrote an article, and I think it's important. He started out the article like this. Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Americans united. Al-Qaeda terrorists attacked the World Trade Center. And the Pentagon. Americans united. Actually, even Democrats and Republicans in Congress sang patriotic songs from the Capitol steps. George Floyd dies beneath a police officer's knee. A horrible thing. And obviously, that's, it's not on par with Pearl Harbor or 9-11. But again, Americans united in, in, in universal disgust. All in agreement that how he died was unacceptable. But then saint hypocrisy arrived. You see, concerning even 9-11, the media, political class, and educators had, had correctly uh, said that we couldn't hold every single Muslim responsible for the 9-11 attacks. Now, these same elites want us to justify hurling epithets, spit and bricks at completely innocent police because of systemic police racism. You see, life in America did not used to be like this. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. What happened? The increased divisiveness is so much more than just tensions between Democrats and Republicans, between progressives and conservatives, capitalists and socialists. It's much more profound. It's secularists versus Christians. You see, Democratic president Harry Truman said in 1946, quote, in this great country of ours, uh, in this great country of ours has been demonstrated the fundamental unity of democracy and Christianity. Amazing. Harvard, Yale, and Princeton originated as seminaries. Hospitals with names like St. Francis, St. John's, St. Luke dotted the landscape. But these days, secularists have successfully drowned out faith's role in the founding of our freedom. And what irks me more than anything, Andrew, I personally know pastors, many pastors, more than one pastor. And I guarantee you that you watching, you know pastors like this that are a part of the problem. They'll say that, that if you're in any way, shape, or form uh, political, you are being divisive. Don't say that it's too political. I'm telling you right now, pastors, you're part of the problem. Because let me tell you something. Do you want to know what is not political? Hmm. I can tell you what isn't political. S the slaughtering of babies yeah. is not and never will be political. Right. So if I talk about abortion on this show and how abortion clearly, obviously stands in stark contrast to the word of God, that is not a political statement. That is right. a spiritual statement. Do you want to know what else is not political? And I'm going to offend people. 
homosexual activity. It's not. Don't get mad at me. Get, get mad at the Bible. Do you want to know what's not political? Homosexual marriage. Do you want to know what's not political? Transgenderism. Yeah. These things aren't political. They're offensive. And maybe many people are even watching the show that don't know what to believe in these things. You're offended at me right now because I said it. You, you can't be offended at me. The scripture says it. The scriptures are offensive. Yeah. These issues are not political. Jesus said that, that you'll hate, people will hate you for my namesake. And these are moral issues. And, and God has always been about his people standing against the culture. We are, God's people has, have always been sanctified. They've always been holy. They've always been set apart. And as Christians, we need to be able to stand confidently and firmly on these moral issues. That's right. And so it, it really, you can look at it like Republican versus Democrat, because I'll tell you right now that, that not all Republicans are saved. But, but it's, it's not the same political parties it was 40 years ago. I, I sound like a broken record on this program. The left has hijacked this country. They are anti-God, they are anti-Bible, and the closer, every month that goes by, the bullseye becomes larger that's targeting the backs of Christians. Yeah. You see, there is a political party that is for the slaughtering of babies, homosexual activity, homosexual marriage, transgenderism. There is a future political party that will be for pedophilia. The left is championing that Netflix movie called yeah. Cuties. Yeah. They're championing it. And they're saying the, le the, the right is attacking it. Listen, if you don't think that the world right now is going to hell in a handbasket, that movie is trending as the fifth most watched Netflix movie right now. The largest streaming service in America probably the world. The fifth trending thing is literally a film, and I, and I know you know what I'm talking about, these, these, this group of a, of, a, of a bunch of 11-year-old girls yeah. that are completely sexualized. If you just read the things that are, are, are in that movie, you'll be horrified. Yeah, it's disturbing. And pedophilia is already being, by some, pedophilia is already being considered a sexual orientation. So that's just, uh, by saying that, you're essentially putting it on the fast track to being considered like homosexuality. Exactly. A part of the, the, civil, LG, the new civil rights movement. Yes. LGBTQ and the whole, all, the assortment of other letters there. Right. Pedophilia will one day be a part of that. Yep. And it's a, because we live in a sick world. And the world is going to get worse and worse. Now, not for the church. I believe that there will be a remnant of the church that will shine brighter than ever before. Yes. But the events of the world are going to get darker. But it won't be a P. It won't be LGBTQ. And there won't be a P for pedophilia because they're wordsmiths. Because everybody, right. you know, the word pedophile is such a horrific, nasty word that they're going to change it. I don't know what the letter will be, but they're, they're going to change the name you know, uh, of what it means, but it's coming. In a few years, I'll be saying, do you know what's not political? Pedophilia. Do you want to know what's not political? Euthanasia. These are things 
that are not political. They are spiritual. And Christians are not to affirm any of these things. And we cannot stand behind a candidate that does. And it's not, and, and listen, please listen to me. It is not because we hate women that have had abortions. Quite the contrary. It's not because we, we Christians hate the homosexual and want to cast judgment. Not at all. We cannot affirm these things because of hate in our heart, rather because of because of love. And sometimes it is the hardest thing to say the most loving of things because you want to get along with everybody. Right. But one of the biggest lies in the church today is don't offend people. Yeah. The, the gospel is offensive. The Bible is offensive. Listen, God's word, and it just, some, don't, I don't have many opinions outside of the word of God. I find my, my worldview, how I filter the world is through the scriptures. Yeah. God's word will always be at odds with the world, with the reprobate mind, always, always. We as Christians are not afforded the opportunity to have opinions outside what is clearly stated in the word, no matter how hard that is. God's word is always going to be at odds with the world. That means as believers in God, in the God of the Bible, if we are adhering to the word and we claim that for our own lives, we are going to be at odds with the world. Yes. And that makes sense. Let me tell you why. Because of Hebrews Chapter 13, 14, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. You will always be at war with this world, but it's not your home. Mm -hmm. It's not where you belong. We are in the world, but not of it. We are sanctified by his word. John chapter 17, 15 through 20 says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying for his disciples and future disciples, future believers, that's you and I, do not ask that you, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's talking to God the Father here. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sort of, I say things like, homosexuality is a sin. Transgenderism is a sin. The aborting of babies is a sin. If it offends you, then you are offended by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm. They are not of the world. And if you're offended, you have worldly things in your mind. Just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. This world is not our home. Yeah. It's going to be tough here. You're going to be at odds with the world and the reprobate mind who do not know God. Yeah, scripture says that Satan is the God of this world. Ephesians 2 says that if if you're not basically operating according to the Holy Spirit, you're operating according to the spirit of this world. And the spirit of this world is Satan. This world is always going to be our, our enemy. The spirit of this world is. Finish the race strong. However, I consider my life, this is Paul, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And we're going to get back into this, but I, I just, this life here is a mist. It's a vapor. I'm going to be, I'm going to be 30 in three days. And this life has gone by so quickly. And I know the older people are saying, you think it's gone by quick, just wait till you're older. Yeah. Whether you live a hundred years or not, or 120, you know, this life here is a vapor. Heaven is real. You will one day be in heaven or you will be in hell. This is such a real thing. Like this life, and we're experiencing life right now on this planet. You and I, Bellers, mm -hmm. will one day for all of eternity, forever, be on a different planet. What a strange, abstract, just fascinating thought. Yeah. And yet it's reality. Yeah. And one day we will be billions and billions of years old. We are eternal beings. Heaven is real. Hell is real. They are not figurative. They are literal places. So get it out of your head that there's some figure of speech. And you will be in one of those places for all of eternity. What's a hundred years here? James says it's a vapor. It's a mist. The only difference between those in heaven and those according to the word of God, don't be offended at me. And those that will be cast into the lake of fire, there's only one difference. Did they accept the free gift of salvation that is found in Jesus and what he did on a cross 2,000 years ago? The only difference between those in heaven and those cast into hell will be whether or not they were forgiven of their sins, being made in right standing before God the Father because they called on, this, on, on the name of Jesus Christ. You see, these things... Uh, you know, and it's like there's all, a lot of other sins. Yeah. Pornography, uh, uh, adultery, uh, being a, a drunkard. But we talk about these certain ones because the left elevates these ones higher and higher and higher. Right. It's, if you, if for example, if you have a gay son or a, a gay daughter, yes, love them. But you cannot affirm their lifestyle. You can love them. You can share the gospel with them. You can pray for them, but we cannot affirm their lifestyle. 
You see, whenever our love for something or someone takes us to a place that is at odds with the word, I can promise you that that is not love. I know this is hard, but you've got to keep eternity in mind. We are soldiers for the Lord. Finish the race strong. You see, where did this come from? Where did this happen? It's because of postmodernism that has ha- that has infiltrated into the church yes. because of an, uh, because of an emergent church. Yes. So the emergent church, um, you know, we just listened to John MacArthur, John MacArthur explain this, and he he did a really great job explaining what the emergent church is. Um, so this is actually a quote from it's him. Very important. It's an amorphous, loose-knit association of churches that have decided that there is value or virtue in uncertainty about Scripture. They believe that we aren't even supposed to understand exactly what the Bible means. That that somehow the the highest virtue is mystery. Mm-hmm. That's right, and that a pastor can be at odds with talking about abortion, with talking about homosexuality, uh, transgenderism, the list could go on and on. The reason that he is uncomfortable is because he's a part of that emergent church. Yeah. He might not even know he is, but he has adopted postmodernism, right. which is a philosophy. And I want to teach you a little bit about this today because it's incredibly important and it's going to, it's going to bring clarity to what we're seeing in the world today. You see, you have pre-modernism, modernism, and post-modernism. These are all philosophies of ways of thinking. Yes. And right now, in 2020, the world has moved into a post-modern philosophy. You see, pre, so you have pre-modernism, modernism, and post-modernism. Right. Pre-modernism. Pre, uh, Modernism lasted for thousands of years. Let me tell you what pre-modernism is. Pre-modernism says this, there is truth. It is real. It is, and it comes from God. There is truth and it has a supernatural source. So for thousands of years, the majority of all of mankind were uh, classified in that way of thinking. From Adam all the way up until the year 1715, roughly. Yeah. They, they, they believed that truth was real and its source was God. Yes. And then into the 1950s, and it really escalated in, in the 1960s, the pre-modernism started to compete with a new way of thinking, which is modernism. And what is modernism? Well, modernism is... is Basically, modernism is what you would think of as um, secularism, um, sort of what, what the most Christians would see as secularism. It says that there is truth and that we can come to find what that truth is by human reason. And so the highest virtue in modernism is the human mind. It's, a, it's like a worship of the human mind. And modernism, um, like you said, well, it began during the Enlightenment period, which was around the 17th to 19th century. 
And uh, it lasted for around 200 years, and it gave us, like I said, what you would typically think of as secularism, um, evolutionary theory, atheism. It gave us atheism. Yes. And it just, it just, I want to hit this home one more time. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years, from, from Adam until the 1700s, everybody was what, believed that truth came from God. Now, it might not have been the God of the Bible, right? but, but they believed it came from God or gods, like yes. the Egyptians, it came from the sun god, it came from other gods, but that mankind believed truth came from God, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Yes. And then everything just started changing in the 1700s, during that enlightenment period, and for 250 years, it was the dominant way of thinking, that truth can be found, and it's because of man's mind so this is why a lot of what we're seeing today is confusing to a lot of Christians because they'll think secularism, aren't you guys the people who love logic? You love reason? You believe in science? You know, what's scientific about believing that that a baby in a womb is not life? What's scientific about thinking that, um, you know, you can choose your gender when you're clearly born as either a man or a woman? What's scientific or logical about that? And And people who are making these points don't realize that we have already moved out of what they view as secularism, which was modernism, and we're moving into something called postmodernism. That's right. That's right. And so, so to, to to wrap modernism up, modernism is what gave birth to socialism and yes. communism. And we can't get into that right now too deeply, but we are now into, so truth can be found the source is God, pre-modernism. Truth can be found, but the source is science and what man can discover, mm-hmm. modernism. We, are, we have now moved into a post-modern world. Yes. And, that, and the post-modern thought has infiltrated into the church. And this will make sense. This is why pulpits are not talking about the difficult things. They're not talking about things that would be offensive because they're post-modernists. They're, whether they know it or not, they're a part of this emergent church. Post-modernism says this, there may be truth, but we just can't know it. Yeah. Who is to say what truth is? We can't know a baby's gender when it's born because now gender is a choice. This is a product of postmodernism. We can't know if two plus two is four. This is a real thing. I'm about ready to say. We can't know if two plus two is four because math came from white imperialism. Yeah. Many people believe that. We can't know if Islam is bad because all cultures are equal. We can't know what's right and wrong because morality is subjective. Well, that's your truth, Andrew. I think, A, you know, these things are wrong and you think they're A-OK, but I am not wrong or right and you're not wrong or right because there is no absolute truth. And this is sort of just the natural this is the natural procession from modernism because with modernism, you got rid of God. And so where does, 
where do we find morality now? Because morality is not naturalistic. It's not, you can't deduce it through scientific means. So we have to anchor morality to something and there's nothing to anchor it to when we don't have God. So now we just have this, this obscure kind of subjective idea of, of morality. That's right. I want to, I want to go through these notes quickly because it's just very important. Truth is whatever you want it to be. This is postmodernism. It's, uh, it's experiential, it's not universal, and it's not knowable. See, this is why you can't preach with certainty if you don't believe that, that the truth is totally knowable. And truth does have a name, and it's Jesus. One main tenet of postmodernism is called deconstructionism, which is essentially to dismantle what everyone has always believed. That's what we're seeing the left do. Right. That's why these things are not political. These are spiritual things. Revisionist history is a form of this. Deconstructionism. Right. History is manipulated and rewritten because truth is no longer the issue. What is more important than truth is, is uh, ennobilizing the heretofore disenfranchised masses who have been subsumed under the dominant European white male culture. This is the 1619 Project. Right. We had an entire show about it last week. In order to release these oppressed people, they need to reinvent truth. Modernism. The human mind trumps the Bible. Postmodernism. What the emerging church embraces is mystery trumps the Bible. The Bible isn't clear, is what they say. And what is written can't be known for sure. Tell me, in the last 60 seconds, what's the real motive? Well, you can't look at... postmodernism. Right. You can't look at Scripture um, and say that it's not clear on these issues. You can't say that Scripture is not clear on the issue of life or on, on uh, sexuality, sexual immorality. It's very clear. So the, the motive is, is now clear, too. Because Scripture is so clear, for them to say well, it's not clear, reveals that really what they're doing is, is they're running away from Scripture because they don't like what it says. That's right. Because they want to live immoral lives and, and they, don't want to, um, they don't want to have to answer to the truth. That's right. They run from it because they don't like what it says. And I understand that because there's lots of parts of the Bible that are offensive. We were, we were born into a totally depraved mindset. There was no good thing in us. And once you even find Jesus, you, you, we are sanctified by the truth. We are sanctified by his word. There is an ongoing process of sanctification. And so there are certain things to the day you die that will be, remain offensive to you until we are perfected in glory. John 3, 20 and 21 says this, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Yeah. Listen, I want to make something very clear. I want to make this last point. As we progress down the timeline into the future, the bullseye will increasingly grow towards the Christian. If you think it's hard now, you haven't seen anything yet. We must be resolute, strong, and unwilling to move in our convictions 
as the storms and the world target us. We must now, in a time of peace, and yes, this is a time of peace compared to future events, we must now be building our lives upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ. So when the winds come and the waves beat against our house, we will not fall. It's time to pray. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord. Repent of any sin in your life and get into the word. It is through the word that we are sanctified. The storms are coming. Get into your word. Be building that foundation, your life upon Jesus today.